Revolting is produced by the Cycling Independent, with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting with Steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent, episode 48, Corporate Rock Sucks. Content warning, we're obligated to tell you before we start that this podcast contemplates both mature and immature themes. You might not like all the words we use or the ideas we bring up. If you're sensitive about these things, maybe this isn't the podcast for you. Buck off. <laughs> <laughs> I did it again. So to get everybody up to speed, we weren't able to record last week. And we weren't able to record the beginning of this week. And then we just started recording and we weren't recording anything. So we had we did. We just did the first 15 minutes of this podcast and realized that we were not recording, and so we have started over, which is too bad because we had already moved through all of life is suffering, and you know some other heavy shit. So yeah, uh, I can't even I you know that we I can't even go through all that stuff again. So um, the bottom line is, in the last two weeks, you've lost two good friends. Yep, and it's bullshit. It is bullshit, but I. I try to retain a healthy perspective on loss. I still saddled with this broken meat bag that my consciousness resides in. Uh, I know in my heart I, that I appreciate having had these people in my life. And I want to celebrate that and I want to focus on that. And I don't want to get bogged down by mourning their loss, but what I what always strikes me when people die is just this is what we were talking about before. I'm just so sad not to share the world with them anymore. Yeah, um, I don't have. I can still talk with them, and I and I think that you know I was saying that my friend Jamie is here. I, I had a conversation with him the other day, and he knocked some stuff off of my bag, and then I. Woke up early yesterday morning, and I have a full-length mirror next to my bed, and it got, it banged against the wall super hard. And his sister said that she's been experiencing a lot of similar stuff since he died. And, um, you know, that's kind of neat, because uh, I don't—I I did mention that uh, of, of all of my friends who I would think might haunt me, uh, it would probably, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> hassle me uh, in the afterlife. It might This guy might be one of the people I would I would— pick um but you can't just sit down and have a conversation with them you know you can talk to them but they don't respond and you can't get information from them i can't ask this guy these guys questions anymore or you know hold them and that's that's the stuff that i get a little sad about um but so happy yeah. that i had both of them in my life one jameson hunt uh who grew up in my hometown and then moved to california and he and his sister or his sister and I went to middle school and part of high school together. 
And then the other fellow was uh, Bobby McMillan, who was just this phenomenal, inspirational human being, one of the most sincere and sweet and sensitive human beings I've ever known. And he was he was cursed with a sick body from a young age and it didn't slow him down. You know, he rode bikes, he raced bikes. He had people ride along in front of him. He was blind. Uh-huh. He was super blind. <laughs> yeah. He was on dialysis. He had multiple kidney, uh, uh, organ transplants. He had knees rebuilt, fractured femurs, fucking uh, lost fingers. I don't know what, like everything. This guy had everything wrong with him. And it didn't, as near as I could tell, it didn't phase him. You know, there's a great documentary that came out in 2011 called The Way Bobby Sees It. And that gives you a little bit uh, of insight about just like how fucking rad this guy was. So, yeah, it's been a heavy, it's been a heavy week. And whatever, it's cliche to say, like, tell your friends you love them, but tell your friends you love them or don't. And then regret it, at, at, you know, later. <laughs> well, I love regret. <laughs> Regret's one of my favorite things in the whole world. Oh, comfy, comfy, <laughs> comfy regret. Yeah, so now we got that out of the way. Don't we have some funny shit to talk about? Yeah, let's talk about funny shit. Uh, this episode is about how it's called Corporate Rock Sucks. It's about how big companies get it wrong and why it's critical to support independent companies. Um, everything independently owned and operated everything like that's vote with your dollars holy shit mom and pops forever <clears throat> we should address because this podcast is sponsored by Shimano North America oh they're the biggest <laughs> mom and pop of them all <laughs> but I've always I mean I've talked about this since the beginning it's still owned by one of the brothers you know who's like the grandson yeah. of the founder and the people who work there are you, you, you're, you're right they're like one of the they're arguably one of the largest component manufacturers in the industry do they have places where they get it right and get it wrong yeah of course on a you know to narrow that lens down or to focus that lens and you just talk about like sure you could uh what there's like well nobody makes a complete drivetrain, mm. you know, like an independent manufacturer. People have tried it. Right. They didn't work very good. Yeah, there are only three companies doing it. I think I think what I'll say for Shimano is that they do they do what they do really well. Um the best thing about them to me, I mean, like th they sponsor our stupid podcast. Yeah. Like that actually says a lot to me. And and at no point has anyone at Shimano said to me, you know what? Maybe, you know, don't talk about these things or those things. Right. Uh, they've never said boo. I think they appreciate. I think they have a soulfulness to them, actually. And they they understand kind of what's good. It's not just um, it's not a really a corporatist approach, because if you were taking a corporatist approach, you would never write a check to a couple of idiots like us and no say, say whatever you want. No way. And and I think it's you know what I what I love about them is that 
you know, I've talked about the Gravel Alliance, which is a group of people that they kind of uh, assembled to do some really uh, like general uh, uh, research and development and design tweaks on the GRX group. And I was so apprehensive, like, why the fuck do you want me? You know, like, and I was yeah. like, I really struggled with my own self-worth as far as that um, relationship went. And I didn't, I didn't want any of their stuff. And they, they like took, they brought us all to Anaheim and there's huge piles of helmets and clothes and notebooks and all of this shit. And I left most of it behind. And I later found out that, that Chris Jacobson, the guy who kind of organized the whole thing, he thought that I was being a dick. Like I was like too good for it or something, but I just... I just couldn't understand why they would want me, you know, and that's my own. I'm that's saddled with my own esteem issues or whatever. But um, I eventually in time realized that their pockets are deep enough. They could have brought anybody on. They could have had anybody they wanted. And for whatever reason, like I was one of the people that they picked. And so, you know, what a fucking huge honor. Like I'm a nobody yeah. and, and Shimano saw me or saw that there was some value in bringing me into this. And I just, I can't, I could never pay them back for that honor. Uh, so yeah, they're, 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 they're corporate. <laughs> they're corporate, but they don't suck. Um, I'll just say this before we move on that. I think you're worth it. I think I am now. I mean, I'm definitely, I feel like I am more, I feel more like I am now than I did, you know, at the beginning of it, but still, yeah, I'm, it's a work in progress for me. It, it's very hard. I mean, and maybe I'm afflicted with the same affliction you are self-esteem wise. It's very hard to see your own value. Like I, I can look, Oh, here we are on Skype. I can look at you and I can think, Man, Steve, he's so money. He's so money. Um, and you have a thing that no one else has. I don't, I couldn't even tell you exactly what it is. Uh, it's like a charisma and a charm. It's, it, you know, w before we, uh, before we began re-recording, we were talking about Jeff Grosso and it's the same kind of vibe Grosso had like a charisma and a sense of humor and uh, like he was grouchy, but in a funny, positive way. Hmm. I think anyway, I think uh, I think you have this thing uh, that is great. God, if you were talking about anybody else, I'd be like, I want to meet this person. But it's me. <laughs> <laughs> How disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, I, just, I don't want this to turn into like a fucking stroke fest, but thank you. No, no, no. And yeah. Shimano's dope, and I'm figuring out my own self-worth, and sh getting to work with Shimano in a professional capacity was a huge part of what led me to those, the beginning, the, the just kind of the, the seedlings of, of of appreciation or understanding of that 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 perspective or that concept i don't know i'm just this is like word salad at this point because i'm kind of flustered but um big companies are th that's funny because this whole thing is corporate rock sucks and what the big companies do wrong but 
it would seem like a little bit of a conflict of interest of like, okay, of course, Shimano is underwriting this. So of course we have to say we're obligated to say good things about Shimano, but I've always said good things about Shimano, even before I had any relationship with him or anybody who worked there forever. Mark Dickerson, you know, who he was a mechanic at turn. We've talked about him before. He's an engineer, Lockheed Martin now, great bike rider, great mechanic, amazing personality, you know, in the early nineties, he was, he was, he was a total Shimano fanboy, and they headhunted him eventually to go work on the road to do like tech support stuff. Cause he was such a good mechanic and he was so invested in the history of the company. And I, and his excitement was infectious, you know, like he, his love for the company and, and the history and the, and the people and the products and that was all really infectious and interesting to me. And that's kind of where it really started. That was when I really went off the deep end. So it's, it's fucking rad now to be at this point and actually be, be able to do this project with you and be acknowledged by them because I've, I've been such a dork for what they do for so many for decades, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit, man. What an honor. Yeah. I think, I think it, it, so SST Records, uh, that was their thing, right? Corporate rock sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it resonated for me definitely when I was younger. I think every rule has exceptions. There are companies that are good. Um, you know, uh, Patagonia, the uh, uh, owner, the founder owner of Patagonia gave the company away yesterday. It's amazing. Uh, at a tremendous financial loss to himself and his point was like i never really wanted to have a company so (laughs) this actually feels great to have given it away yeah um so there are those that get it right but um you know i think i think at root the issue and we should do music picks oh yeah actually okay we talked about sst so sst's that was their famous sort of was it their slogan? I don't know, but they, you uh, know, it was kind of like Sub Pop has a you know, going out of business since 1988 or whatever. Right. Which I just, God damn it, I wit like that. I would love to have that as a slogan. I would have come yeah. up with that on my own eventually. I think, uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's just sort of their, you know, whatever. Mo- it's kind of their moniker, their yeah, whatever they're known by. Phrasing. So. In honor of SST, I'm my music pick this week is going to be, uh, and this will be, if this is a new band to you, congratulations. I'm just about to give you, they, most people will know this band back to front already, but if you don't, congratulations, I'm about to give you like a hundred records of awesomeness, and that is Husker Du, uh, one of the all-time classics um, I guess they were a punk band, but they were way more than a punk band. Mm-hmm. They were like, they simultaneously were like a proto-punk band and a proto-post-punk band. <laughs> <laughs> like at the same time, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the more that the more time that goes by, the more relevant and the more important they become because they were, I mean, they, these three dudes just like fell out of a time machine. They knew stuff. They were operating on a totally different level in 1985 or whatever. I don't know. Yes, yes, yes. I think 
You know, like um, one of the things that I have friends who say, oh, I hate the Beatles. The Beatles are overrated. The Beatles suck, which is fine. Like, that's an opinion. Sure. It's a funny hot take. Great. What I always what I really like about the Beatles is that they started making one kind of music and they were like, ah, we don't have to make that kind of music. And then they made different kinds of music and they were just kind of all over the shop. And they just followed like what was in their heads. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what makes the Beatles great is that they were like, like the song I Am the Walrus, for example, that came out in, I don't know what, 67, maybe. Uh, to me, that's a punk rock song. It's insane. The lyrics are nuts. Like where that song comes from, I have no idea. Um, and that's exact. <clears throat> but Husker Du did the same thing without the success first. <laughs> like the Beatles, the Beatles were like, well, we've got cabillions of dollars and everyone loves us. So now we're going to use that that boost to just follow our own whims. Husker Du was like, we're going to just start with the whims. We're just going to go nuts first uh, and probably never make any money, but we're going to go hard anyway. Well, that's kind of a that's kind of a foundational piece of of the of art, you know, yes. like to really to really uh, put put like hang it all out there and put your soul on display, regardless of, you know, criticism or whatever. And, and even more complex I've talked to musician friends about this. Like the creative process is a motherfucker on your own, but yeah. to find two or three or four other people that you, that you sync with and you click with and that you can make this amazing finished thing. That just, yes. that blows my mind. That just kind of elevates musicians to a totally different level to, to my mind. Ye I mean, I have been in a few bands and I can tell and they were all terrible, but I can tell you that being in the same room with other people when a thing comes together mm -hmm. is a really special feeling. I and bet. even if your music isn't good, uh, you want that feeling again. Yeah. Um, and this I'm picking Husker Du and we're talking about, uh, you know, doing a thing that's true to yourself, regardless of kind of what the uh, outcome is going to be. And I think that pertains very directly to why corporate rock sucks and why big corporations generally suck. But uh, I'm also going to say if you. You should listen to Husker Du, but then when they broke up, you should also listen to the Grant Hart solo records, which are amazing, and all of Bob Mould's stuff. But yes, you have a you have a music pick coming. Well, it is also uh, they are also corporate darlings. Um, it's uh, I've been listening to the shit out of wait to the shit to listening the shit out of I don't know how to say that. I've been listening a whole bunch. To the first two Deftones albums, um, Adrenaline and Around the Fur. Uh, Sacramento, Ne'er-Do-Wells. Here's a little fun fact. Uh, Scott Berg, who was one of my orange jumpsuited compatriot, single-speeding compatriots from way back in the way back, he played drums for the Deftones for a short time. Uh, maybe it was like a week or so, but he was <laughs> in some official capacity the the drummer for the Deftones. And oh, that, that stuff... That fact like, was fun. Hmm? That fact was fun. <laughs> um, 
the Deftones, I think, kind of get pigeonholed into this like Adidas core or Adidas rock shit that all came out where it's like stupid Limp Biscuit and stupid corn and stupid. Right. It was dumb. But whatever the Deftones did, it it's it's landed uh, a lot more sincerely to me. And, you know, they've evolved for a number of years and changed into all kinds of different directions and done different projects. And um, gosh, what was uh, was another kind of a little fun fact is that when Maverick was shopping for bands, it came down to the Deftones and my friend Sam's band and my friend Sam and I, he was a drummer. Uh, we messengered together and worked in a couple of couple, couple bike shops together. He's a really funny character who moved. He's in Colorado. I think he became an electrician. But when Maverick said, uh, we want the Deftones and not you guys, that band just exploded. And I don't think Sam's ever played drums again, which is crazy oh. to me to think that you would be so proficient at something and then suddenly um, just stop. Uh, one of the guys is like a studio guitarist or something like that. But Maverick wanted to go in a little more. Uh, like a little newer direction in terms of, and I don't know what kind of music the other band would, was playing, but and Maverick was Madonna's label. I think so. It might still be. I don't know. That's what I right. heard at some point, but I don't know if she still has any involvement in it. Yeah, that was under Geffen Geffen Records, Geffen, maybe. Geffen maybe. Maverick. I don't know. There was a lot. There was don't years. Anyone the, quote me on that? They're like independent. They're like major minors. You know, there's like Interscope, yeah, yeah. but Interscope is owned by this other thing. Or that was yeah. always kind of hard to to sort sort for me. But yeah. so Deftones, and they didn't. I don't think they were very smart about it because one of my other uh, orange jumpsuited compatriots, uh, Robert Ives. His partner, Carrie, grew up with the dudes in the band. And she told me a story about how MTV came to do like a Cribs thing at one of their houses. <laughs> and they walked in there and they were like, it's just a, this is just a fucking like one level ranch style. You barely have any furniture. <laughs> you know, and this was yeah. like they were, had videos and they had a lot of record sales. And, and the guys were like, we're just not making any money, you know. Whatever you sell it or you sign a million dollar contract and until you make a million dollars, you don't make a fucking you don't pocket a dollar. Right. And so I think they were just sort of, you know, struggling to pay the record label back. And so MTV actually brought in a bunch of furnishings. Oh, no. To make their house look a little bit more rock star. And this is why corporate rock sucks. <laughs> yeah. One of the reasons. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I've been listening to them a lot and I still, geez, those records came out in 1995 and 1996, I think. And, uh, fourth fun fact is I bought those records on CD. They were the first CDs I ever bought because I was so committed to just buying vinyl. And I was like, shit, I'm never going to, I'm never going to be able to listen to these if I don't buy the CDs. So those are the first two CDs I ever bought. I resisted buying CDs for a long, long time, and people would be like, well, you ain't going to keep buying records. And I'd be like, when you buy a record, you take the record out, and you can see all the music. It's there. The mm -hmm. grooves are there. And then you've got this thing in your hands. Maybe it's got liner notes. When you open a CD, you pull the CD out, and you see yourself. Yeah. It's like a little mirror. Yeah. And they're so I don't know why cheap. that seemed like a really killer point to me. At the time. <laughs> they're so cheap to make. 
when I was doing, yeah. I was putting out seven inch records and we did a CD when I was in college for this band called uh, Quitters Club out of Kansas City. And the CDs cost like a fucking penny to make, you know, and the, re- and the record labels were selling them for $15. And record, yeah. on the other hand, record costs considerably more to make, but they were selling for eight or ten dollars. And now, right. records cost twenty five dollars because they're fucking expensive to make. CDs are worthless. Is yeah. a rich man's eight track. I mean, Steve Albini has called it on so many occasions in so many spaces, and he called he was calling CDs the rich man's eight track. You know, it's a fucking joke. It was a that's another reason corporate rock sucks. Yeah, they they duped people into thinking that this was some kind of fanciful new modern technology. CDs are terrible. I used to get mad because they put CDs out and they stopped making records. Right. And I'd be like, well, I ha- I bought this record. I bought the license for this music. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to pay you 15 bucks for a CD now. I already own the license. I licensed this from you one time. Yeah. You should give me the CD for a dollar. I should get it for cost. And now, and then for a long time, there was like five years or eight years or something where records, you could get the, a digital download with the record. Yeah. And so you're buying the record and now I can also have it on my iPod or my phone or my computer or whatever. And they've stopped doing that. So now I'm back to buying a record and then a digital version of it. And that drives me Fucking crazy, but that's another rant for another day, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or, then, or maybe I'm just I'm just done ranting. I, I'll, so, whatever. The artists are getting paid. If the artists are getting paid, I'm cool with that. But if they're not, right. if it's just some some jokers lining their pockets with all of the extra money that I'm paying to 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 enjoy this band's output um then if they're getting it cool somebody else is getting it not so cool not so cool yeah so uh let's question one did we get it do you think okay oh Um, sst records made corporate rock sucks an anthem in the 80s and 90s punk for the 80s and 90s punk kids easy for me to say and it captured this idea that a capitalist corporate approach to making music leads to shitty music do you think the same paradigm has had a similar influence on the bike industry? Oh, hey, it's Storytime with steve About three years ago, Shimano tapped me to join a group of people they were calling the Gravel Alliance. Essentially, this was a group of people who were going to ride and test the GRX Gravel Group. We're going to do races around the country and rides and have light influence on design and engineering and research and development tweaks that needed to be done before it went to market. Uh, On the surface, this was just an opportunity to ride bikes and to meet this amazing group of personalities and even to take a peek behind the curtain and learn a little bit more about Shimano as a company. Uh, But on the underneath, I learned more about myself and my own self-worth than I could have ever hoped for. Uh, The whole thing was really brilliant, and I understand that's not exactly what they had in mind when they asked me to sign on, but uh, that was a byproduct, and I will forever be in Shimano's debt because of it. So I actually want to go back to Husker Du real quick. Okay. Because I don't think Husker Du ever thought well, this is the one that's going to make us a, a million. 
And I don't think SST put out a lot of records that they were like, oh, yeah, we're getting rich on the new uh, meat puppets. Uh, (laughs) So there's this point where. And I think this is super important in art and in business. It it all kind of comes down for me to motivation. Yes. Why are you doing the thing that you're doing? Like, I don't begrudge anyone getting rich doing the thing that they want to do. It's when they do a thing just to get rich, it becomes pretty clear to everyone pretty soon that it's a compromised piece of art, music, or product, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we've talked about that before. Like, the genuine genuine output, sincerity in creation, and that's foundational for the, in, to my, from my perspective, uh, to the legitimacy, to its legitimacy. And I think it also changes how you you treat people. Like when I was at seven, we would we had all sorts of conversations about why we would do things, why we would do things. And the motivation for the people at seven was always they wanted to sell more bikes so they could build more bikes because building bikes is what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. All they wanted to do was build bikes and to build newer, cooler, more interesting bikes. They wanted to follow their curiosity about it. It was a very, I mean, Rob, who founded the company, was a metal sculptor and was in art school. You know, I think he came from this whole idea of like, I want to do this thing. And so I'm going to figure out how to do it and make make the thing. And then once you start making things, you're like, I like making things and I'm going to pursue that. The, the money side has to be taken care of. Like, you can't just... You can't literally eat ramen all day, every day uh, to try to survive so you can do your art. But at the same time, I think you do have to do everything in your business. Like if you make paper towels, you should feel really excited about paper towels. You should want to make the best paper towel. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And, uh... You know, that, like I said, it's it comes down to the sincerity or the motivation uh, uh, behind making it. That's the right. that's the that's the that defines it one way or another for me. And when you look at the bike industry, do you do you, is it clear to you who's making bikes to make because that's how they think they're going to get rich and though. And who's <laughs> making bikes because I don't think anybody does anything in the bike industry to get rich. <laughs> but there's stuff that I think is kind of soulless, you know? I mean, mm. there's, there's, there's a, a, even like the most boring, I, I can't even think of something off the top of my head, but um, it's just whatever, generic, boring design. Um, mm. to, to me, somebody, there was a lot of hours, I think in general, there are a lot of hours that were put into that and maybe multiple personalities were involved in making it there's the stuff that i that that resonates with me because of my aesthetic or my sensibility or my history or whatever and and that and i love that stuff and and the the other stuff you know like um i've never been drawn to 
to the things that specialized specialized makes, for example. And and they I think they get they take a ton of pot shots. And, you know, they've done some weird business moves and stuff. And so everybody, you know, they're they're an easy target. Um, But I have been to the headquarters in Morgan Hill and I have been um, treated to a tour of the facilities and the testing facilities and the design facilities. And and it's just it's insane. You know, it's like I described it as um, as like what what a Hollywood producer would would or a set designer would put together when, when trying to convey what a bicycle company looked like. Mm-hmm. It's part museum. It's part state of the art testing and R and D facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, part, uh, fucking corporate gap campus where you have a cafeteria and, and mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's wild. I've not, I've never seen anything like it before. And, you know, that didn't happen by accident. There was a ton of passion and a ton of uh, creativity and engagement that went into making that exist. You know, does is it inspiring to me? Is it something that I, you know, would love to go and visit and investigate more? N- not really. But, you know, for what I experienced there, that was it was really neat. Like a little company, like I like little companies. I like independent shit. I like businesses of five or 10 people, Paul component engineering. Paul is a super good friend of mine. And, uh, I met him when it, he was a one or two person operation, you know, like years ago at Interbike it was the first time I met him. And then for a long time, I didn't think he liked me. He always looked at me super suspiciously. And then one time I realized that's just sort of, <laughs> he has like resting suspicious face. but um you know he's just a he's just a kooky mad scientist and and he does these bitching designs and makes cool products and they got shop cats and you know that's fun that to me is tangible and 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 inspiring uh just like you know small independent builders or 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 small manufacturers it just i don't know whatever it's just it's just that sort of that sort of um, that sort of business or that sort of imprint has always been the kind of thing that was relatable to me, I guess, you know. I feel the same way, and I fall in this I have this problem because like I work in the bike industry, but the number of companies that I'd be willing to work for is very small. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you've already taken a pay cut to work in this um, toy industry. (laughs) You know, you're, you're basically a glorified elf and, um, and yet you're going to make like moral distinctions about which companies you're willing to work for. I couldn't work for one of the big four bike companies. I just wouldn't let myself do it because they turn me off so much. But there are good people that work at those companies. Oh, without question, um, of course they're and, and, and work with them or in, or at the at the companies or in sub capacity. They ride for them or whatever. Like you sure. can't you can't you you can't make a like a clear distinction. Like this this is bad and this is good. It just doesn't work that way. Well, you said bad and good, and I think that's important because I have this default sort of morality. I always want to cast it in moral terms, like big company bad, small company good. 
but I've been hosed by small companies before yeah. too. You know, so it isn't really a bad good. It, it is just sort of like, that's not my ethos. That's not my aesthetic. That's not my thing. Right. Generally speaking. So I resist, I resist the product that everyone else has. Like if everyone is wearing these pants, I want to wear the other pants because I don't want to wear the same pants right. as you, but that doesn't make the, that doesn't make big pants bad. Big pants. Oh, I like don't big, even like know big, what I'm like, talking about. Like big, a the big, big company. pants company. Okay. Corporate pants suck. Not like Jinko <laughs> jeans where they're actually physically big pants. I mean, I can't get away with those either because I got kind of short legs and I start to look like an Oompa Loompa pretty quick. <laughs> Nobody can get away with Jinko jeans. Not to knock Oompa Loompas. Nobody what? can get away with Jinko jeans. Nobody ever could even in the 90s. This is ridiculous. Sure. Uh, I was thinking about this the first time. I think, you know, I didn't know this was... Mm, early 90s or something and I was going to invest in a mountain bike like a nice mountain bike and I looked at a bunch of yeah. bike shops and I talked to a bunch of people and I said what's a well like you know what's a cool company and somewhere along the way I I just I came across uh Bontrager and I was like oh these oh, there's just something cool about the fucking logo and the frames were really sleek and stealth and it was those um it had one of those switchblade forks it looked almost like a like one of Rick Hunter's straight blade forks. It was real tapered and real um, real graceful uh, with a quad twenty one type of uh, fork crown, like suspension old Rockshock suspension fork crown. And I ended up buying that, and I was on a ride actually in Santa Cruz, and I cracked the seat collar. And so my friend Jake was who I was riding with said, "Oh, well, we we just go to the factory, like they're right here." And immediately I was like, "What?" Like this is a thing. And so that was what really opened the door. And then I, I walked in and I met this guy and saw all the, the welding booths and all the, you know, like uh, racks of tubing and all this stuff. And I was just like, holy shit, man, this is the this is the company that I want to always support. Or this is the kind of company that I always that I want to always support. And ironically, the guy who I met, this guy, John Forsberg, I met him. I don't know. It was a five minute exchange. And uh, there's a guy, Willie K. Bullion, who used to work at Bontrager as well. And now he's the warranty guy at Santa Cruz. But I ran into Willie at some bike event somewhere. And he was walking with John. Willie said, Oh, Steve, this is John. I said, Hey, nice to meet you. And he's like, You brought a blue, large blue Bontrager race in with a cracked seat collar. And I was like, Get the fuck out of here. I mean, it had to be 10 <laughs> years earlier. Right. Dudes, all he's all time. John Forsberg is one of the best dudes in the bike industry. But, um, uh, you know, even in, you know, 10 years after the fact, like exact, that's exactly the kind of company that I, I, uh, click with, you know, yeah. even, even on a, on a small level, like the fact that I had this bike that I loved and I could go in and talk to the person who made it. You know, just yeah. that by itself blew my mind. And that was, it just kind of sprung from there. I, I, I need my life to have that kind of texture. Like, I don't really want to have a ton of stuff, but I, the stuff that I have, I want to know about. I want to know who made it and why they made it and what's good about it. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. What inspired them to make it? Yeah. I mean, I have some eyeglasses uh, and I, I don't think I can, they're, you know, Ray-Bans or whatever. I don't think I could get a hold of the person that made those. 
But then again, I don't Hi. wear them. Hi, this is Steve. Is Ray there? Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or his partner, Ban. Yes. Neither. Uh, and I don't. They're both busy. There's, and it's, you know, it's, it's not with, it's not with everything, but you know, I can't talk to the person who made my shoes or I can't talk to the person who made my shirts or whatever, but, but, but bikes and, 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 and I would like to run that sort of business too. You know, I don't make anything, but I facilitate the, the making of stuff. And if people want to get a hold of me, cause their shit fell apart. They, I mean, I'm, I'm right here, super easily accessible, and I can at least get a hold of a representative of the company, and I like to, you know, get as much stuff as I can made in the United States, so I can just call my crazy wristband manufacturer lady, and we can talk about how many margaritas she's going to drink this weekend, and she'll set me straight, you know, like, give me some new stuff, or, like, I just, I, I like having that sort of personal relationship with, with vendors, yeah. with customers, with people who I'm a customer or businesses who I'm a customer of. It's tangible yeah. to me. Let's just put it that way. It's a richer, it's a richer way of living. I think. Agreed. Like I'm not trying to collect stuff, I, but I am the stuff that I have. I am trying to have relationships connected to it. Mm -hmm. And then but, I wanted to, I wanted to mean something. And maybe that's how, you know, that that's how it fits into the, the corporate rock sucks is you can't, can't get a hold of a band on a big label i can't get a hold of somebody at the label you know but like i can develop a relationship with a small with an independent band i can develop a relationship yeah. with an independent label yeah that's very exciting to me it always has been well that's it too right like going back to this corporate rock sucks thing like i used to buy sst bands that i hadn't heard mm -hmm. i'd go to the record store and i'd be like oh it's an sst band i'm gonna like it yeah it's an amphetamine reptile band. I'm going to like it. Mm -hmm. It's a touch and go band. I'm going to like it, you know, and that wasn't 100 percent true. They definitely signed some kooks. But my <laughs> my point is, you know, there's like a level of trust and whatever, whereas you wouldn't go into like, oh, RCA Records, they, they put out the stuff. Yeah, I know I'm going to like this Sound of Music soundtrack. Right. They're doing it. They do. They do everything. Um, right. And there were, you know, there's like, there's, there's independent labels that put out cotton, whatever, uh, uh, Zydeco music or something that maybe I'm not, is, is definitely not necessarily my cup of tea, but it's an independent label and they're passionate about it and they're genuine about their output. And so that's right. I, I dig that. But yeah, when it's the, when it's a big, when it's a big label, that's just kind of throwing all of the mud at the wall and appeasing everybody. It's less it's less interesting to me. So yeah. that's, you know, what that's just, that's my two cents. So, okay. Question two is who are the small companies that people should have noticed and supported by now? And who are some current independent companies that you like? You already brought up Paul components. Oh, it's component. He always gets on me about that, but it's oh, sorry, yeah. Paul component. Yeah. He said at one point, he's like, that's like saying Paul's components. I said, okay. Okay. <laughs> I can do I'm it. only calling it Paul's components from now on. Paul's components. Uh, yes. Paul's components engineering's. Yes. Three S's. Uh, yes. Yeah. Paul component is great. Um, I've talked about blue collar Robert in Sacramento. Robert Ives. Yep. Um, and I don't know what his, you know, like, I don't know how you can, if he's building bikes on a regular basis, he spends an awful lot of time working with, um, a couple of local pit bull shelters 
like a mm. like a lot. I guess it's turned into a super full time, super full time jobs for him. Um, but I just I love the bikes he's built for me so much, and I wish, I wish I had tons, tons of them. They're just so they're just so cool. Um, but uh, shoot, um, God, there's a there's a women. It doesn't just have to be bike companies either. It can be any company anywhere that you like that's small. Yeah. For example, I like a friend of mine ru- ru- has a coffee roastery, uh, Kaveri Coffee. They're in Berkeley. Um, my friend Tanya, that coffee—it's Indian coffee. She, she, her, her dad was in the coffee business in India, and um, she got involved sort of later in life, and she roasts this coffee, these Indian coffee beans, and it's amazing. Drink that coffee. Mm. She's super nice too. That's uh, okay. I'll investigate. There's, I mean, there's a lot of companies that I support who are just run by friends, but then there's, you know, there's a there's a whole host of uh, black owned businesses that I learned about over the last five or ten years in Oakland, and I think you can even just like Google black owned businesses, you know, and there's a mm. there's a there's legions that are great to support. And women, uh, women-owned companies. I was trying to track down this. Uh, I just came across this women's clothing company, and my friend, um, my friend Emily, got a, some coveralls, and they make a, a bunch of different women's clothing, and they're they seem really cool. I started following them on the social medias. Um, There's Bellingham's own Cosmic Dirt. Cosmic Dirt, Ashley, she's great. Um, yeah. uh, what was it? There's a bag company called Pack Northwest that's, that's mm. operated by this woman, Hillary. And I met her a couple of months ago. I just bought one of those bags yesterday. I've been emailing her, asking her if I can, if I could get her to sew one of my own patches on my bag for me, because I have such a tumultuous relationship with sewing machines myself and she hasn't gotten back with me, but I found a purple and black one. It's a fanny pack. I guess I got I got oh, called yeah. out on Twitter today for calling it a hip bag. With it, it doesn't rest on my hip or my fanny. It sits in the small of my back. But oh, you know, there's people small of small of the backpack doesn't. That's not a thing. I always ride with a day pack. I've ridden with a day pack forever, and I have fucking tools and snacks and a sketchbook and pens and pencils yeah. and spare tubes and I have so much junk in there. But it's just too much to ride with on Fruit a hot rollups. day. So I decided to decide finally. Decided to kind of pare down and get one of these fanny packs, and uh, she's she's super cool. Her husband has sort of adopted this whole section of uh, creek here in town, and he just goes through and cleans it up and keeps it all spiffy. So oh. they're rad. Um, uh, gosh, what else? Mm, I'm thinking just like going from the top of my head down, sockeye. Love Michael Foley and Sockeye. They're great people. Mm-hmm. Um, ben Davis. I suppose Ben Davis Pants is pretty independent. Uh, they make vests and workwear. So Ben mm-hmm. Davis and Levi Strauss were partners back in the back in the olden times. And Ben Davis came up with the 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 rivet, the the Levi's rivet, and Levi Strauss bought the patent for the rivet from Ben Davis for like fifteen dollars. 
Sweet. So Levi's makes Levi's and Ben Davis. Ben was probably like, it's a rivet with 15 bucks. I can buy a jug of whiskey. I win. It's true. But Ben Davis, the third still runs Ben Davis. And I think his daughter is now, I think she might be running the company now. So it's cool. Mm. It's still like there's, it's still Ben Davis is still run by Ben Davis, though it's not made in America anymore. Mm. Uh, Mission Workshop and Acre Supply and all the stuff that Bart has got his fingers in. That's awesome. Uh, Oh man, I don't know. So, I mean, the point is, like, you know, guy, uh, listeners, uh, put the time in to figure out what's what's out there that isn't just the off the shelf thing. That's all. Yeah, I think it's it might be kind of a little intimidating, might be a little intimidating for people to. Like, where do you even fucking start? You know, like, I want to I want to buy some pants that are, <laughs> that, are, that, are, that, are, that are run by a cool company or. You know, I mean, I suppose you can start looking for uh, just Googling like one percent companies, like companies that give one percent of their profits back profits back to environmental causes. If that's something that blows your hair back and just let your fingers do the walking, you know. Welcome to episode 48, how to buy some pants. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I mean, Montucky cold snacks, they they're a beer. They make a, just a good drinkable beer and they give a bunch of their proceeds back to environmental concerns, which mm. is pretty neat. I wish I liked the beer more. <laughs> ah, heck. I don't. You, just, you know, you get. <laughs> All right. All right. Corporate rock sucks. Question three. You do it's your, would you rather time? You do your best. That's what I say. Yeah. Do your best. Um,. So my question about this week's Would You Rather is, do we do the one that's on the notes in front of us, or do we do the one you texted me earlier today? <laughs> the one I texted you, that was I was talking to Casey Robertson, who goes by Snakehawk, and he does a bunch of design work for me and a bunch of people in and out of the bike industry, but he's he's probably one of my longest internet friends. I think Big Johnny, who was the founder of Drunk Cyclist, introduced me to him virtually probably 15 or 16 years ago. I've never laid eyes on this guy. But we're, you know, talk on the phone. We cry on each other's shoulders. He's fucking he's awesome. He's a CIA operative, but for he, sure. Yeah, he doesn't exist. He's, yeah. he's artificial intelligence. He's a but Russian he, bot. He asked me this he asked me this, would you rather this morning? Uh, and I think we ought to go with, we should, let's do both. Let's do both. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, we'll have to move quick. Do yours quick. What, uh, what did, is, what did Snake uh, Hawk Would say? you rather go to Burning Man or the Republican National Convention? Yeah. And I would rather go to the Republican National Convention. That's how turned off well, I am by Burning Man. One thing that I like, it, because I consume uh, you directly uh, via the telephone and and the texting, uh, but then I also read all hell the black market, and I get uh, I get Steve O via various things, and I like that. Um, I will see that you get a a bee in your bonnet about something, <laughs> and then then it sort of cascades. Like this Burning Man thing has been brewing for a little while. Oh, years. 
I've never liked it. I love I love the photos of some of the installations and stuff, and I knew a bunch of people who were involved in it in the early days. And man, I would love to see. I would love to see some of these installations in person, but I am so fucking turned off by the population that I know to be attracted to it and goes and the amount of the volumes of garbage and the impact on the dead. I just, it's just, it's never, it's never resonated with me. Plus I'm also kind of skeptical of people who refer to themselves as artists. Sure. So what do you think your day at the RNC is going to be like? Not talking with anybody. It would be real similar to being at Burning Man. Uh, except I wouldn't be breathing dust and getting sunburned. Um, and I could probably, probably the concession stand at the RNC. I don't know. <laughs> I, pro- I think I could. I, I think I'm just thinking about like accessibility to fucking leave. You know, because like if you're a Burning Man, you're you're there. It's not like you can just dip out and like go down the street and find a bar. You're I don't think this would you rather works if you can just leave. Well, yeah, so I got to sleep in the convention center and it's just me and a no, bunch of squares. But you've got to participate in the whole thing. Like if you're going to uh, go, you got to be there and participate. Which are you still sticking with the RNC? See, I was thinking about this today. Uh, after you texted me and I had two thoughts about it. The first one is I think I would feel very self-conscious. I don't know why I think this, but like just walking around the Republican National Convention, I feel like everyone would look at me and know that <laughs> I this guy is not a true believer. Oh, yeah. Like I, they can see my I would feel real threatened, I think, at that kind of like you're, you're like you're like a, a honeybee in a hornet's nest. You know, like, oh, yeah. my God, they can see through my costume. That's right. That's exactly it. The second thought I had was I have zero interest in being at the DNC either. Mm, same. Same. Yeah. I mean, I find both of those environments full of like true believer people pretty rough to contemplate. I think I think at least at Burning Man, I would be in a geography I hadn't been in before. And it could be interesting, although my main concern would be at either of the political conventions. There's probably always a bathroom accessible, yeah. whereas I'm just I would just be worried that I'd be at Burning Man standing in a line for the Porto John for like eight hours. Mm. Um, God. That's my deep analysis. I'm going to go with Burning Man. <sighs> and part of me is doing that just because I think it might upset you. But <laughs> he really stymied being at a political convention he feels really, way worse. He really stymied me with that one. Uh, I would probably, well, shit. Like, you, you know, you put it into those terms. Um, uh, there's somewhere. there. Okay. Burning Man, it would there would at least be somewhere to disengage. And they I don't know that you would be able to find that at the RNC. You could ride your bike in the desert at Burning Man, couldn't you? Yeah, I mean God, that's the other thing is people would bring their goddamn bikes back and I'd have to work on them. And they're just covered <laughs> in this like cr- Gross, cro- corrosive crust, and <sighs> uh, sweat, and 
drugs. I th- Ugh, so I th- dumb. I think my takeaway from all this is that we will both remain in our walk-in closets for the foreseeable future. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. So I, I'd go. I with, was, I'd go with Burning Man. Whatever. It's, it oh, sucks. Wow. Sucks. Oh wow. Wow, we got you all the way to saying you'd go to Burning Man. That's but only because there's somewhere I could hide from it. That feels like some sort of strange victory to bring you. God, all the way around. I went from. A, I went from. Yeah. Well, you said that I couldn't leave. Like, if I'm going to be fully immersed at the RNC or fully immersed at Burning Man, I guess that's I would like really... saying, "Do you want to be in a snake pit or uh, in front of a firing squad?" Well, if I could leave the firing squad, you can't just. <laughs> that's, that, that's just cheating. The would you okay. rather? Okay. I would take the blindfold off and walk away. I would keep the cigarette. Um, Fair enough. So this this other would you rather we have feels I read it just now. I had forgotten. I wrote this weeks ago and I would I think I just put it in as a placeholder. And now, given the recent passing of blind Bobby, this one feels shitty. No, he no, he would he would think it was hilarious. Because he's he'd be I mean, like, well, is, I've I've done both. He's, so. He has he's done both. He's experienced both of these all at the same time. So, um, in honor of the dearly departed, now uh, he's fucking laughing at this. He just gave me a huge hug. Would you rather lose three fingers or one eye? Yeah, uh, three fingers. Do I get to pick How which come? three fingers? Uh, sh- sure. Okay. Uh, left ring finger. Wait, should, should all three fingers be on one hand, though? No, well, no. Or you're I'm, saying, like, you'd lose both pinkies and, like, maybe one ring? Yeah. No. Or, like, I would both lose rings? Both, I'd lose both ring fingers and uh, probably left pinky. Interesting. Yeah, I think I could make that work. <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm sorry, Steve and I are both holding hands out in front of our faces right now. So, uh, and what? Why not one eye? Because then you lose depth perception. Yeah, I use my I use my eyes to you know to see stuff. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> I don't. I just. I don't know. I would be. I would be terrified that if I if I gave up one eye, what happens to the other one? And then I'm totally. You're blind. only one eye away from total blindness. Yeah, and I just like the idea of. I mean, my whole my whole world is centered around everything. It always has been. I am so hyper visually motivated from um, making making things, I think, primarily, but also uh, because I think I've got like something's up with my brain where um, I am like. like physically and emotionally and spiritually filled and stimulated by things that I see. And I'm, I've always been like hyper observant about everything. I would see, I see everything all the time. Like nothing escapes me weird shit. Like how people, somebody has their hair braided or all. I think I've told this story one time. This is, this is a good example. Like I'm in traffic riding down market street. So you're kind of splitting lanes. You're trying not to get caught in the cheese grater and the tracks on market street, San Francisco. Yep. And there's uh, you know, it's rush hour or whatever. There's people all over the sidewalks and I zone in on this one fucking guy. I don't see anything about, it. I just see the top of his head, but there's just this, this, 
euphoria. It was just something he like stood out. And then the, as, as soon as I got up to him, it was a homeless guy and he was standing there. He's washing his hands in a stream of his own urine. And I was like, fucking a man, that dude. But I saw him from blocks away. It It's like seeing everything and nothing all at the same time. So mm. my eyes, I just, I don't know that couldn't give one up. I could, it's just, they, they, they're, they're fine. I think I would rather lose hearing. Honestly, oh, if I was yeah. st- starting one my- eye, two ears or one eye, you would pick two ears. Yeah. Wow. I think if I lost some fingers, that might actually be good for me. Like right now I've got this, uh, my left pointer. I chopped the corner off of it. Right. It, you can't really see like this whole part is dead. Uh, and like part of the fingernail, oh, I'm not even showing you anyway. Uh, and then I do this thing continually <laughs> where I reach into the toaster oven and I try to do, it's like adult operation. You know, that game operation <laughs> where you can't touch yeah. the sides. Yeah. That's, that's what I do in the toaster oven. I reach into the back of the toaster oven. And it takes a very steady hand yes. or else. Youch. Yeah. And so I feel like having fewer fingers would just mean fewer things to cut and chop and burn. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I apparently can't figure out where it is and isn't safe to put my hands. That's a, that's a kind of a, a funny commentary on just, you know, your mode of operation or the way that you exist in general. Oh my God. I'm at a stage now where my wife is like, I'll be making dinner. She'd be like, don't chop that. Let me do it. (laughs) Really? You need to go to the community college and take a, like a culinary arts class where they teach you how to use your knuckles as a guide. I worked in kitchens. I have the technique. I know how to do all that stuff. So what's your problem? Uh, well, the, uh, it's the law of large numbers. If you chop, even if you have good technique, if you have ADD like I do, eventually you're going <laughs> to chop yourself because because even with the right technique, if you're not looking often, uh, the bad thing happens. Word. And I know there's a bunch of uh, wine cooks listening to this right now. We're like, nope, actually, I can do this without looking. Well, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Congratulations. You're not me. Congratulations. I drop the number five hex wrench every time I work on my bike. Every single time. Oh boy, that's and a I, whole other thing. Yeah, holding on to tools, that'd be a that'd be a challenge. Riding a bike with no pinky or ring fingers might be a bit of a thing, but I think you get used to it. Couldn't get rid of my thumbs. Think, Couldn't get rid of my index fingers. Use yeah. my middle fingers for everything all the time. <laughs> that's right. And f- fuck ring fingers. Those are useless. Guess so. I mean, unless you yes. have a, unless you like wearing rings. Ah, oh, sorry, Ringo. Sorry, ring. <laughs> That's your name. <laughs> ring finger, Ringo. <laughs> That's Ringo. Uh, all right. Fuck this nonsense. Uh, hey. Fuck this nonsense. Thank you for listening to the Revolting Podcast. If you have questions for us or topics you'd like for us to pontificate on, you can email me at Steve at cyclingindependent.com or robot at cyclingindependent.com if you like this or any of the other fun stuff you find on cyclingindependent.com please share it with a friend it's currently the only way we have to keep this party going so on behalf of cycling independent i'm steve and i'm robot don't forget to suck it yeah.